how would you like to have Robert Gibbs' job and be the uh, White House press secretary? <laughs> I'm sure there would be times when uh, that would be the last job on earth we'd want to have. But then again, having the authority to speak for the president would be quite an honor, as well as quite a responsibility, perhaps second only to the honor and responsibility of being an authorized messenger of the kingdom of God. Last week, we saw the twelve being set out to proclaim the kingdom of God with power and authority. And we were reminded that we too have been commissioned as messengers of the kingdom, set out with the authority of God. For as long as we are faithful to the revealed word of God, we are authorized to speak for Christ. We are his press secretaries, sent out to a sometimes hostile audience to deliver statements on his behalf and to answer questions about his plans and policies. That's an awesome responsibility and a great honor. But we have to be very careful not to let that authority go to our heads. Because speaking for someone of great authority can easily give a spokesperson the idea that he has great authority in and of himself. It's easy for a messenger to forget his place. And that becomes evident even in the apostles as they return from successful ministries as messengers of the Lord. Continuing our study in Luke's gospel this morning, we're in chapter 9, ready for verses 10 and 11. And when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. And taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the multitudes were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. When the apostles returned... They gave an account to him of all they had done. And no doubt they were excited about what they had done. They had preached to people throughout Galilee. They had healed the sick. They had even cast out demons. They were excited about what they had done and the power they had exercised. The 70 will likewise rejoice when they return from their mission, especially rejoicing because the demons had been subject to them, in his name, of course. Jesus will tell them that they should rejoice because their names are recorded in heaven, not because spirits are subject to them. They should rejoice over their standing with God and not over what they can do, even in his name. But they and the twelve were very excited about what they could do. And as the apostles began drifting back to Capernaum, they were apparently kept busy preaching 
and healing. So much so that Mark tells us they didn't even have time to eat. Jesus decided it was time to get away. They needed to get away. And so they headed by boat to an isolated area on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee near the city of Bethsaida. It was to be a time alone, away from the demanding crowds, when Jesus could instruct the twelve, and together they could just get some rest. But it was not to be. The multitudes saw them leaving and figured out where they were heading. So they took off on foot and actually beat Jesus and the disciples around the northern shore of Galilee and were waiting for him when they arrived. When Jesus saw them, he wasn't annoyed. He was moved by compassion. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began teaching them and healing their diseases. We aren't told what the apostles were doing. But what they were doing and not doing, I think, soon becomes evident as they take on the role of advisors to the Lord. Verses 12 in the first part of 14. And the day began to decline, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat, for here we are in this desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Apparently, the 12 had been pushed into the background as the multitudes sought out Jesus. For as we discovered back in verse 11, he was now the one teaching them and healing them. There's no indication that they, they were doing any of the teaching or healing. Jesus had once again taken center stage. And it was a really big stage. Luke notes that there were about 5,000 men there. And if you add in women and children, there could have easily been ten to 20,000 people in the crowd. And just in case you think Jesus wouldn't have been able to address such a crowd, let me share with you something that I think is very interesting, a little bit of information I ran across, across twice in the, the past several months. George Whitfield was a famous evangelist in the 1700s, both in England and here in the United States. And after coming to the States, he gained the admiration of Benjamin Franklin, now, Franklin never claimed to be a Christian, but he did attend Whitfield's open-air sermons more out of curiosity than to learn from him. And on one occasion, he decided to test the truthfulness of the reports that Whitfield's thundering voice could be heard by thousands. And so he walked backward until he could no longer hear the sermon and then drew a semicircle 
Estimating two square feet per person, he calculated that Whitfield could indeed be heard by as many as 30,000 people at one time. That, of course, was long before public address systems. So Jesus could very well have been speaking to everyone by himself. But apparently, the apostles decided he was overlooking something. As evening approached, they came to him and presumed to tell him what to do. They didn't come with a suggestion. They didn't come asking what he had planned to do. They didn't come offering to help. They came and told him to send the multitude away so they could find lodging and get something to eat. I love Jesus' response. You give them something to eat. <laughs> Apparently, they thought he wasn't going to handle the obvious need. But when he told them to take care of it, it quickly became obvious that they couldn't. The resulting dialogue between Jesus and the disciples that we piece together from the four Gospels is very interesting. And I should note, that this dialogue leads up to the only miracle outside the resurrection, of course, that is recorded in all four Gospels. And that tells us something of its importance. Anyway, the disciples' initial response to Jesus telling them to give everyone something to eat was, should we go and spend 200 denarii on bread? That, of course, was hypothetical. I think we can rest assured that there wasn't eight months' wages in the treasury box that Judas carried. Jesus overlooked that detail and simply asked Philip where he was going to buy it, knowing full well that that much food was not available in the area. Philip responded by saying that 200 denarii wouldn't be enough anyway, even to give everyone just a little bit. Jesus then asked the disciples how many loaves they could put their hands on. When they didn't know, he said, go look. <laughs> Pretty soon Andrew came back with a lad who had five barley loaves and two fish. Now, I realize it's popular to picture Andrew as a man of faith, coming to Jesus with the five loaves and two fish. But I really don't think he was coming to Jesus with the expectation that he would do anything with them. His statement to Jesus was, what are these for so many people? It was an impossible situation, and they knew it. In fact, their concern for the people may not have been genuine. There was no way ten to 20,000 people could have found lodging and supper in the surrounding villages and countryside. They just saw something they didn't think Jesus was handling. And they wanted to get their two cents worth in. And it's quite possible that their criticism, and that's what it was, was motivated by jealousy. Jesus had stolen the show. They had gotten a taste of glory, but had been pushed back into the background and they wanted back on stage. And to do so 
they had done something that made it appear that Jesus didn't care about the people as much as they did. That's easy to do when you're not the one in charge. You might remember Absalom, David's rebellious son. He positioned himself outside the gate of Jerusalem where he could talk to everyone coming to see his father for judgment. He would ask them about their problems and then assure them if if he were the one hearing their case, he would give them the justice they weren't going to find in his father's court. His feigned concern for them was, of course, disingenuous. He didn't care about the people. He was simply building a base for rebellion. Now, the disciples didn't go that far. But I don't think they were happy about Jesus getting all the attention. And so they came to him as advisors, actually as critics of what he was and was not doing. But Jesus didn't need their advice. He knew what he was going to do. What he could have used was a little help. No, can I help would have been a much better way of coming in from the sidelines than telling Jesus how things should be done. But they were learning and once again became servants of the Lord. Have them recline to eat in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all recline. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, twelve baskets full. You know, once they realized they couldn't handle it, the disciples quit trying to tell the Lord what to do, and started listening to him. And then, even without knowledge of his plan, they followed his instructions. He told them to have everyone recline on the grass in groups of about 50, as they would if they were having a big picnic. And they did so. Okay, now what? Was food going to drop from heaven like manna in the wilderness? They had no idea what was going to happen next. When they got back to Jesus, he took the loaves and fish and said grace. He may have prayed the common mealtime prayer. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who bringest forth bread from the earth. Of course, that's King James or something like that. What was Jesus going to do? Was he going to eat the little boy's lunch in front of everybody? Or was bread going to miraculously spring up from the earth? Neither. He started breaking the loaves and fish and passing the pieces to the disciples. But the pieces got bigger as they passed from his hands to theirs. And he then told them to start passing out the pieces to the people, and they did. 
And they kept passing out the pieces until everyone had eaten their fill. It was the first all-you-can-eat fish dinner. And it was free. I like the sounds of that one. Jesus was doing something only he could do. He was demonstrating his ability to meet people's needs. And quite frankly, he didn't need the apostles' help to do it. No, he could have simply made the fish appear in everyone's laps. But he didn't. He gave his apostles the opportunity to be involved in what he was doing. He let them play a role in meeting people's needs. But he first made sure that they realized that he didn't need advisors to get the job done. All he wanted was waiters who were willing to serve him and the people at his direction. The same is true today. Jesus doesn't need us telling him what to do or what people need. He doesn't need our visionary ideas on how to have a more effective ministry or our business plans on how to get the job done. And he certainly doesn't want us striving to meet the perceived needs of people. Now, Jesus fed the people because he knew they needed to eat. But he didn't stick around after dinner and give them what they wanted. He knew what they wanted was to make him king. And the reason they wanted to make him king was that they were hoping as king he would keep feeding them. When he made it clear that he hadn't come to keep their bellies full, but to give them the bread of life, they quit following him. He knew what they needed, and he met the need. But he also knew that giving them everything they thought they needed would work against his eternal purposes for them. It would be some time before his apostles would fully understand that. But they were learning as waiters and as busboys, picking up the leftovers. Now, Jesus doesn't need advisors. But he does want disciples who are willing to serve him as waiters and busboys in his kingdom. And if you're willing to do so, I invite you to surrender your all to him and to begin serving him and his people at his direction.